Well, if you have your Bibles, let's go to our text that we read earlier, Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19 in verse beginning in verse 3 through 6. Last Sunday, if you remember, we we looked at the Passover in Exodus 12 and how that God was bringing 10 plagues upon Egypt and the 10th one was the worst, the final judgment, the destruction of the firstborn. And but you could be spared if you had the blood of a lamb on the doorpost. And that was called, still is called, Passover. And uh, now this, in Exodus 19, they've come out of Egypt, these who had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And there's a few chapters in between here where they were able to get manna from heaven and water and and deal with some Sabbath day issues. Now they've come to Exodus 19. And if you follow the chronology, uh, it and it does give one, uh, you have to put it together. We won't do that this morning, but I'll just give you a hint about it. It's 50 days from the time they came out of Egypt at the Passover, which was the 15th day of the month, up to the day they come to Mount Sinai where they receive the Ten Commandments. That's the 50th day. Now, what is the 50th day from Passover? Anybody know? It's Pentecost. Pentecost comes 50 days after Passover. This is the Old Testament Pentecost here in Exodus 19. It's when God came down on the mountain, gave Moses his law, wrote it on tablets of stone, Ten Commandments, and the code of ethics that follow in chapter in Exodus 20 through 24. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, that was on Passover. Fifty days later, what do you have? Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. When God came down by the Holy Spirit and wrote his law, not on tables of stone, but on the hearts of his people. So this, this is a kind of a picture of Pentecost. But there will be a difference, and I'll show you that in a minute. Uh, what I want you to see, let's, let's just note these verses. In uh, verse 3, Moses goes up, to, up the mountain to, to God. This is the uh, Mount Sinai. And God says to him in verse 4, You've seen what I did to the Egyptians. That's the ten plagues and opening the Red Sea. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Uh, just a note about being born on eagle's wings. This is unique, actually. A statement that indicates what a very few people have witnessed, and that is an eagle carries its young on its back to transport them. 
Other birds carry them in their talons. But the, they could, but the reason they don't carry them on their back is because there are predatory birds that can swoop in on the back of, of a bird and pluck its young. But they can't do that with an eagle because the eagle flies higher than everybody else. There have even been reports of airline pilots looking out the window and seeing an eagle waving at them. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's amazing. But God says, I carried you. Nobody could get above me. Nobody's more powerful than me. Nobody could fly higher. You were safe, and I brought you into this relationship now, covenant relationship. In verse 4, I brought you to myself. Notice the goal. I brought you to myself. Freedom was not God's ultimate objective, but freedom to worship is what he had in mind. Amen? He didn't just want them free. They wanted, he, he wanted them to be free so they could worship. That's what he told Pharaoh. Let my people go that, so they can worship me. And then in verse 5. Now therefore, if you will in truly obey my voice and keep my covenant... Now notice the conditional statement here. If you will truly obey and keep my covenant. Now that's the covenant that starts in chapter 20. The Ten Commandments is in chapter 20. If you ever want to know where the Ten Commandments are, go to Exodus 20. And then the code of the covenant, 21, 22, 23, and the ritual in chapter 24. So if you keep, if you obey and keep my covenant that's given in chapter 20 to 24, then, verse 6, or verse 5, then you will be my treasured possession, verse 5, among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, but you'll be special. And verse 6, you'll be a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. And these are the words you're to speak to Israel. So here are, here's a threefold promise, a message that God explains why he saved them, why he brought them to himself. Here's three things God said he would make them if they would obey him. Verse 5, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my treasured possession among all people. All the earth is mine. Now, some of you know, we've mentioned this, Old Testament Hebrew, I mean, this is a language that goes back thousands of years, and yet you can read it. Because of the Bible, Hebrew is a functioning language today over in Israel and in the seminaries and colleges. And this Hebrew word that is used here for treasured possession is unique. It is pronounced segula. 
It means something that has sentimental value to it. Maybe something your mother would have had that she left with you or your a grandparent. We had uh, uh, in Burton, uh, back to the bricks this week. And some of our folks have these uh, old cars, 50, 60, 70 years old, and they drive them once a year. Otherwise, they keep them in their garage. That's what you would call a segula, treasured possession. They may have two or three cars, but that's the special one. That's the idea here. I had a pastor friend years ago, this is like 40 years ago, he had an arrowhead collection. And uh, he was so proud of it, and he showed it to me when I was there. I learned later he sold it for $15,000 40 years ago and gave it to the church. And it reminded me of 1 Chronicles 29.3. David said, in addition to all that I've provided for the holy house of God, I have a treasure, a segula of my own, which I give to the house of God. Amen. I ain't saying you have to give your special model T to the house of God. I would look weird driving around in it. <laughs> but there are occasions when God will say, take that special sports card collection, sell it, and give the proceeds to the advancing of the kingdom. Amen. Uh, sometimes God will speak to us. Then he gives a second description if they keep his covenant in verse 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Now what did a priest do? Well, the whole nation was to be a kingdom of priests. Later on they, in the golden calf incident, God confined priesthood to the Levites, one tribe. But here originally they're calling the whole nation was to be a people who would function like priests. That is, they would communicate the presence of God to people. When they came in, the presence of God was present. After, in Exodus 29, verse 46, after he's described the priesthood and ordained the priesthood and clothed the priest, he says, do it like this so that I might dwell among them. Priesthood brings God's presence into where you work, where you live. And, and also priests were teachers able to give an answer for the hope that was within them. See, this was a, Israel's calling was to be a missionary nation originally. Um, so you have in 2 Chronicles 15, 3, for a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a teaching priest. Notice that, a teaching priest. In verse 5, the effect of it. And in those times when there was no teaching priest, there was no peace to him who went out or came in, or for great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands, and they were broken in pieces. In other words, no teaching priest 
No functioning society. The world needs the church to be the church and to fulfill its calling. So he said, if you will obey my voice and keep my commands, then you'll be a kingdom, a priestly nation. And being a pastor for many years, I've seen in funerals or weddings, I've seen whole families and generations without a single person in the group who knows the God of heaven or has a Bible in their home. And so you have a society that's fragmenting. All right. Then a third thing he defined them as. He said, and you will be, verse 6, a kingdom of priests, and third, a holy nation. Now, holy simply means that you're different. You don't follow the customs of the age. You don't believe what they believe. You don't fear what they fear. You don't talk like they talk. Uh, it's an interesting uh, statement by Haman to king, the king of Persia in Esther chapter 3 verse 8 he said to the king he said there's a certain peoples that scattered abroad dispersed among all the people in all the provinces of your kingdom and their laws are different from everybody else they're a different group, I'm talking about the Jewish people in the Old Testament and see that is essentially what the world knows about us that sometimes we forget that we are not like them. God says, I brought you to myself that you'd be a holy nation. And just in a word of encouragement to those of you who say, oh man, holiness. Ugh. Well, we all struggle. And I'll be the first to say that. I struggle with holiness. But I am encouraged um, because, you know, one thing I've never seen is a dead man struggling to get out of a casket. Amen? It's a sign of life if you're struggling. Sometimes you're doing well, two or three days go by and then you fall on your face. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead... The fact that he struggled against the grave clothes and had to have help with them, we need people to help us, was a sign that he was raised, not a sign he's still dead. Amen? So be easy on one another. Be hard on yourself if you want to be hard on somebody. But, but be gentle with each other. Now, Here's some good news. If you have your Bibles and want to turn there, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll start, I'll read verse 7 to 9. Peter's talking about the stone or Christ that the builders rejected. He said it became a Christ became a stone of stumbling, verse 8. 1 Peter 2, 8. 
and a rock that caused offense. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word and were as they were destined to do. So here's the large majority of the Jewish unbelievers. He said they, the Messiah came and they stumbled over him. They rejected him. And then in verse 9, Peter addresses the Christians who actually received Christ, 1 Peter 2, 9. He said, but you are chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own special possession to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you from darkness to light. Now, every commentary that you would pick up on this will tell you Peter is quoting Exodus 19. That makes sense, right? See, if you'll notice, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own special possession, special treasure. So everybody says he's quoting from Exodus 19. I agree. But there's one big difference. Anybody catch it? Whereas in Exodus 19, it's conditional. If you will obey, then you will be. But in Peter, speaking of the new covenant, the new covenant is not conditional. It doesn't put you on probation. It doesn't leave doubts as to your destiny and identity. You are. This is what Peter says. If you've become a Christian, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. I mean, you may not be a good one, but you are one. And you are a holy nation. You are different. You know that you are. You sense that you are. And you are a people who are his special treasure. He is sentimental, if I might use that word, with regard to you. You are a special treasure. You're like one of those cars on back to the bricks. He is proud of you. The others he drives to work. You he shows off. This is true the moment you become a Christian. This is New Testament Christianity. This is grace as opposed to law. Your destiny is not doubtful. Your mission is not debatable. Romans 10.4 Christ is the end of the law for everyone who what? Believes. There it is. You just went to the front of the line. It's like you started where they're beginning. And you, you begin here, and if you obey the law, keep the covenant, truly, don't leave that out, if you truly keep the law, then at the end, you will be special treasure, holy nation, so on. The Christian starts at the end, at the goal line. That's where you begin. That's your starting point. 
It's like when Bud, if I could use him as an illustration, uh, was in about the sixth or seventh grade, I'd say, Bud, uh, what are you going to do when you grow up, when you become, what do you want to be? He said, I want to be an NBA star. Exactly. And I said, yeah, bud, and I'll join you. I'll be on your team in the NBA. Um, If I said to him, bud, if you want to be Michael Jordan, you dribble the ball down, you elevate from the foul line, go over four or five seven-foot NBA players and slam-dunk the ball into the goal, then you will be Michael Jordan. But there's a difference there and me saying to Michael Jordan, go win a championship. (laughs) Amen? I'm saying to Michael Jordan, see, he's already that. This is who you are in Christ, dear people. This is how God views you. This is how he defines you. And don't let anybody tell you different. God is the one who tells you who you are. And you, your identity is in Jesus Christ. One more verse, that next verse in 1 Peter 2, verse 10. Once you were not a people... Now you are God's people. Once, not now. Notice that word now. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. You're his personal treasure, a messenger to others, and separated and set apart to him for all eternity. What a wonderful message that I got to preach to you today. And you know what? We've, what could be more wonderful than this? Some people who have said, I will receive Christ and I will begin at the end point. I will be God's treasure, a holy, part of the holy nation and a messenger, a priest to others. So we're going to baptize now. So if you would come, guys, could we have these seats right here and just give us a few minutes. And those of you who are going to be baptized, if you'll just come and you can have a seat right here. And uh, Nick, I need you and Andy to help.